We sat here in silence for a good 20 seconds before deciding to start the podcast. It was a rough start. We started, we stopped, and then we started again and still remained in silence for some time. You know, sometimes we just have to take it in, soak in our surroundings. You know what it means, Sabrina? It means that you and I have a wonderfully comfortable relationship because we can sit in silence together. We can call each other and not say a word. We can just... And also not look at each other because we weren't looking at each other. We just knew the other person was on the screen and we stared off into the distance. (laughs) We were like, his ghost's going to introduce us. (laughs) I feel like we're like that couple that sleeps with each other on FaceTime from, you know. Oh, yeah. I I, I can't say goodbye. I can't say goodbye. You hang up first. You say goodnight first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You hang up first. Okay. I guess we won't hang up. Let's sleep together. I was remembering back in the day when cell phones first became a thing and you would be texting your friends or like the boy you liked far into the night. And I was trying to think about what time I actually went to bed because it felt so late when I was younger. And I'm pretty sure I'd go to bed at like 10. Well, that's like me now. I still think 10 is so late. 10 is late. (laughs) Put me to bed at nine, please. Turn on the ghost stories and head on to bed. Oh, this is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina. And this is an Encounters episode. Yes, this is what we like. We love. We like them all, to be honest. But yeah, we really enjoy doing the research and and chatting through our stories. But it's also just there's something about getting emails from our listeners that's so validating in our own experiences because we're like, hello, Here are 1,000 examples of paranormal activity all across the world. And if you didn't believe us in our research, then you need to tell that to these 10 people's faces this episode that you don't believe them. Good luck finding out who they are. You'll have to get through us first and we're (laughs) telling you it's true. And we have a ghost bodyguard, so watch out. Yeah, we do. Also, side note. Of course, I've in the past few episodes have been talking about how much paranormal activity has been happening in my house. I won't give you any more information because it's just the same wisps and floaty mists and dropping of objects that aren't actually there. However, my mom and I started to speculate that perhaps I brought back a ghost with me from the old city jail in Charleston, South Carolina, because we're like, who is this person? And this what never happened before like this. But remember, I got straight off the plane from Charleston, South Carolina, Ubered to my car and came up to Vermont and then was stuck here. Oh my gosh. Isn't that interesting to think about? Might not be true. See, these are the moments where I like wish I was okay with Ouija boards and seances because I want the answers, but then that's like the doppelganger version of me and I can't let her in. Wait a second. Oh, let me pull up my phone. Okay, so obviously you've heard me talk about TikTok because <laughs> I finally, mm-hmm. hold on, turn the volume off, because I finally joined the party like everybody else and have been on TikTok and have been really trying to find all of the good paranormal videos, which one day I will share if anyone cares, probably not. <laughs> makes me sound like one of my parents being like, watch this meme I found. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But anyway. I love it. The point of this is there is a TikTok man who his username is Thomas Edward. Edward with a W instead of a U and two Ds at the end. And I bring him up because he is a medium. And so for work, he reads people's energies and he creates art. He's a painter and and, and an artist. But on TikTok, he talks about all of the readings, like random readings he'll give people in the grocery store when spirit comes through. He's videotaped some of them. It's wild. And I just need Thomas to come to my house and tell me what's up. I need to look him up. You can send him to me. Okay, I will. That's a good idea. And now I'll have an outlet. So I don't have TikTok. So you have to send me the links and send multiple of them because otherwise I can't look at them all. We'll spend hours curating the best TikTok playlist for you. Thank you for coming to my non-existent technological skills. You're welcome. And if anyone else knows any people we should be following out there on the internet that is like Thomas, let us know. Send us basically everything that you're doing to entertain yourself during this time because this unemployed girl needs a little bit of purpose in life. Sabrina, don't worry. You'll have a job soon. (laughs) I know. It's just, you know, the past week has been tough. I know. I will survive, but... You will survive! I will! I'm not even singing the song that you're singing. I just am making my own thing up. Oh my gosh. What? Nick has been making so many videos. He did a voiceover using our audio equipment and like did voiceover for a video he put together. (laughs) Also, I'm realizing that I keep calling our podcast so high quality. I think it's good. I think it's all right. (laughs) Uh, If you listen back to episode one, it is definitely so high quality now. Eric's the guy to... Eric is give credit to. We got to give a lot of credit to him. We have arms now that come down and hold our microphones for us so that we don't have to because we were bad at it. We're hands free. We're hands free. And ghosts don't have hands either. So we'll talk about the ghost stories. <laughs> I we're leaving that transition because it was amazing and also <laughs> proves that we're not always that great at transitions. <laughs> okay, well, let's just breeze over that interesting transition, and I'll just go straight into a listener story from Harvey. It is called Vermont Ghosts Living by the Charleston Jail and Ghost Botox. Hey, ladies, but mostly Corinne, since I'm assuming she's the one reading this email. Yes, because she put Vermont in oh. the subject line, so she knows. Amazing. I was like, wait, is she saying that I don't read? Because I <laughs> now I'm feeling insecure. No, no. It's like if someone was like, Jersey, and then they're like, hello, Sabrina. Oh, of course. <laughs> now I understand. My name is Harvey, but I am, in fact, a little lady, <laughs> a little <laughs> lady from Vermont. And you want to know why I appreciate this so much is because back in the day, my AIM screen name was Lil Lady. So I was like, so this was really written for you. Starting off on a side note, I'm so glad to hear someone is as proud to live in Vermont as I am. It is, after all, God's best accomplishment. (laughs) Okay, now my first ghost experience. I grew up in the small town called Waitsfield on top of a big hill in the middle of the woods. During the day, life was magical. My sister Maggie and I would make ferry boats and send them down the rain runoff on the sides of the driveway and we even had a miniature two-inch stationery to write letters to fairies and leave them under fallen flower petals or rocks. Wow, seriously magical. That is amazing. Nighttime was a different story, though. The woods were deep and instilled my first bit of fear of the unknown as a kid. My earliest memory was me crawling out of my crib to go to sleep in between my parents out of fear. Because our closest neighbors were about a half mile away, 
We often slept with all of the blinds and curtains in the house open. Who's peeping through the windows in this hippie town bum frick nowhere anyway? Well, actually, we did have a man who posted up a deer post in one of our trees to spy on my two sisters and I as children, but that's a very different story and it involves no ghosts. Anywho... My gosh. (laughs) I slept between my parents almost every night at that house in Vermont, but one night in particular is ingrained in my mind. Just before my nightly routine of crushing my dad's shins to crawl onto the bed, I happened to look out the window onto the backyard. In the light of the spotlight on the lawn stood two figures, one taller, one shorter. They both were standing tall, staring directly at the window as if expecting someone to look out. They both waved slowly at me, perfectly synchronized. They were having a picnic, the quintessential red and white checkered blanket beneath them. It made no sense to my feeble child's mind or my half-baked 22-year-old mind now. I shook my dad awake and tried to direct his attention out to the window at the picnic freaks outside, but no one was there. He took me downstairs, rummaging through the junk drawer to find a flashlight so that I could take him outside to show him where I saw the two people, but no one was there. In their place were two large planters of my mom's. He pointed to them and he said, see, that's all that it was. Just the planters. You can imagine the confusion and the rage of a child who no one believes. And when I was nine, my family finally moved from Vermont to a house in Wilmington, North Carolina. A very odd thing about the South is that in the homes of two-story homes, the children often sleep on the second floor while the parents sleep on the first. This was all fine and dandy until the middle of the night in our new home when I had a longer journey to my parents' bed to escape demons. Yes, I still sought comfort sleeping between my parents at 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. When you walked up the stairs to the house, to the left was my sister Maggie's room and to the right was my sister Jessie Fatane's room. Now down a long-ass dark hallway was my room and my dad's office. The hallway alone was scary, but what made it worse was that the light switch was in the middle of it, so you can bet your bottom dollar that I sprinted to flip that bitch on every night. During the day, my dad, when my sisters and I were at school and my mom was at work, said that he would hear footsteps of someone in dress shoes walking down the hallway. He would call out to see who was there, but no one ever was. Multiple times, my sister Maggie and I would come home from school and hear the same footsteps upstairs, always running to our neighbor's house, thinking that there was a robber. But nope, never a robber, just a demon. Things in that house got so scary that my parents put a daybed at the foot of their bed so that when I came downstairs to find comfort, I wouldn't wake them up. On the rare occasion that I did sleep upstairs, I would always wake up in the middle of the night and whatever I made eye contact with first would fall. Looking at a painting on the wall, it falls. Look at a poster rolled up on my dresser, it falls. If that wasn't terrifying enough, I was starting to realize that whatever invisible force was there was watching me sleep and watching my eyes as they scrambled around the room. Whenever this would happen, I would sprint down the dark hall, downstairs, and loop around back through the house since my parents' room was directly under mine. Even though I felt safe in their room, the most terrifying thing happened there. One night, while I was watching TV... Pretty sure it was October because Disney was playing Nightmare Before Christmas. I watched an entire wall get engulfed by a dark shadow that started in the middle and crept out to the corners. A couple nights later, I was back sleeping between my parents. Screw my room. Screw the daybed. I need snuggles. (laughs) (laughs) That night, I had the scariest nightmare of my life. It wasn't necessarily the nightmare itself, but the main character from it that manifested herself into my life the very next morning. Okay, okay, so here we go. 
Growing up, my dad was a big golf magazine producer, and the back cover of most magazines was bought as advertising space for Volvo, and we often had new Volvos at the house. My favorite of which was a red one that had a seat in the trunk that faces outward behind the car. My sister Maggie and I loved this seat because we would make faces at the cars behind us. In my nightmare, I was sitting in the seat alone and I was unable to turn around to see who else was in the car with me. We were driving slowly through a creepy one-road town of gray and black. In the middle of the road stood a tall, skinny, pale woman with black eyes and a short, sharp, black bob. She was dressed in a long khaki trench coat. She just stood there, staring at me as the car drove away, giving me the same menacing wave the two people in Vermont gave me. They all look at me with the same blank stare that leaves me feeling exposed and terrified, and I woke up in a cold sweat. The next morning, my dad was taking my sisters and I to school, and we had the same morning routine of going to the same gas station, getting the same hot chocolate and snacks. It wasn't as tiny of a town as the Hippieville, Vermont, but small enough to recognize the people that we saw each day on our morning routine. That morning, as we stood in line at the gas station to check out, I noticed the woman in line in front of us had a black bob and a khaki trench coat, eerily similar to the woman in my nightmare. As she turned around to leave, she paused for a few moments to stare directly at me. She had the same tight, pale skin and endlessly deep black eyes. She stared for a few more moments and then just walked out. I never saw her again and haven't had any weird waving people incident since. That being said, I have had ghost Botox. What? This next incident happened just last year at my mom's house in Charleston. Wait, is she saying ghost Botox because we joked about ghost Botox in the last episode, maybe two episodes? I don't even remember ever bringing up ghost Botox. You were like, my skin is so tight. And I was like, oh my God, who needs Botox when you just need ghosts? It's like we never had this conversation because (laughs) there's no bells ringing. I'm hearing it for the first time. (laughs) I re-listened to that episode. That's probably why. Yeah, otherwise we have no idea what we talked about unless we're the one listening back. We say it and then it's in the void. Oh gosh. Okay. One day I was there cutting a watermelon like I do and my dog Lily was sitting on the floor next to me waiting for me to drop a few nibbles. As I'm cutting the watermelon, I start to feel really negative thoughts invade my mind. Thoughts like, what if the knife just goes all the way through and cuts your hand? What if you cut off your fingers? And other weird shit like that. I looked at my dog and out loud started saying along the lines of, Lily, there's something in my head. And I knew the thoughts weren't mine, but had no earthly idea of where they could be coming from. They then started to fade away and I didn't think much of it. After I'd cut myself a serving of watermelon, the entire 12 pound watermelon, (laughs) I went to my mom's room to watch TV. And out of nowhere, the bowl of watermelon seemingly exploded as if someone with massive hands just punched down on all of it, sending a slurry of watermelon juice and pieces into the air. I grabbed the dog and I sprinted out of that house so quickly. I called my best friend Morgan, who is a white witch, to try to help me make sense of it all. And after maybe 30 minutes on the phone with her, she told me to try to go back inside and assess the situation. As soon as I stepped inside, something stung both of my lips, causing them to swell up. I joked with Morgan that I had gotten ghost Botox, but sadly the swelling went down by night. Maybe if you read this story on the podcast, I can blame any future work that I decide or not decide to get on ghosts. No, I swear I didn't get my ass done. My house is just haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) 
I love that. I still have no idea what happened that day or why the ghost had a personal vendetta against my friggin' watermelon. I also just listened to Cran's story of visiting the Charleston jail, which I live a couple blocks away from now, but in college, my dorm was one block away. Years ago, they hosted an event at the jail called Jailbreak. Each cell was full of different types of artists and outside had stages for musicians and dancers. There were a bunch of food trucks, alcohol stands posted up everywhere. Most jail cells were used as gallery space for various artists, and there were two cells that had different comedians rotating throughout the night. This sounds like a freaking dream. That's amazing. So amazing. It was Charleston's best event and sadly no longer runs because of safety regulations within the jail. I am a film photographer and have been shooting since I was 14. Even though I was only 18 at the time, I was a featured artist in this event. I had maybe 10 or so prints hanging up in the show one year. Hell yeah. After hanging them up for a day or two before the event, I came back the night of to find them all laying on the ground of the jail cell. As much as I wanted to believe the ghost was sabotaging me, it was simply the walls crumbling because the building is so old. I've taken a ghost tour there and sadly had no experiences. So sorry to end on an anticlimactic note, but I found it very funny. I'd love to send you ladies a print of my work. Yes. We would love that. Thank you. I've been rotating between your and Oprah's podcast for the last year to get a good balance of spirits and spirituality. Peace and love. Your friend Harv. See you on the other side. Wow. Okay. What a crazy collection of ghost stories and Mm -hmm. experiences. Okay, the dream, though, with the woman that she saw the next day and the way that the woman stared at her before leaving makes me think that that woman had a dream about her the night before. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think about that. I immediately just thought she was a demon planted in the store. But you're totally – you're on to something. She, I guarantee she's thinking, like, why is that girl staring at me? Right. And then she's like, oh, wait. I, why do I recognize her? Because in her dream, Harvey, a little creepy kid – was standing there just waving at her with no emotion. How interesting. Oh my goodness. But like, what does that mean? Why would, you know, like you don't really see faces in your dreams unless I think you've seen them, even if you don't like consciously remember seeing them. Right. But to see someone that you'll then see the next day is like almost like deja vu, but feels like more connected than yeah. That. And it's interesting, too, that it was the same style of communication as when she was in living in Waitsfield and in Vermont and looked out and there were two figures waving, but emotionless. And so first you would think, okay, well, one was something that she saw when she was a young child out the window. The next thing was something that she dreamt. Perhaps that was just an anxiety dream because of her previous experience, but the fact that the very next day she saw that person in the same outfit, all of that, I don't know. So strained. Yeah. And it sounds like she's quite aware of the different types of people that she comes across throughout the day and like on her regular routine because she mentioned that. So I think Harvey herself was thinking, is this someone that I've previously seen on my routine, on my commute? And somehow this is just happening, but- I don't know. Maybe they'll become a part of each other's lives later in life. Yeah. Maybe that woman in the trench coat is a medium and she's going to tell Harvey all about the spirit that's been haunting her. I feel like we're projecting what we want to happen onto (laughs) Harvey for ourselves onto Harvey. (laughs) We might be. Okay. I have a story. It's called A Puddle of Blood in the Hallway and it's from Lily. Guys. 
I really don't know where to begin. I appreciate your podcast and I think we'd be pals. I'd love to sit down with you and discuss all of my experiences and theories as well as listening to yours. I have many stories and I am choosing to share with you the first experience that truly gave me validation as well as some gratification of proving to a non-believer that ghosts and demons do in fact exist. For a little background information, I grew up in a haunted home in Alabama that was built in the early 1900s. In that house, there was a young girl whose energy felt calming, playful, helpful, shy, and I addressed her as Amanda because she once told me that her name was Amanda in a way that I really can't explain even if I tried. Anyway, so there was Amanda, and then there was a dark energy, an evil energy that held you in your sleep, pushed the shower curtain slowly, and their energy was heavy enough that company would mention an uneasy feeling in certain areas of the home, and it lingered even when they'd never been told about the energy before. Both Amanda and the dark energy hung out upstairs where my bedroom and office were. This dark energy began to follow me to school, and little drops of blood would appear on my desk and the desks around me, but no one would be bleeding. And yet, there would be blood. And I wouldn't say anything even though I knew it was my fault. A teacher once pulled me aside and asked if he could pray for me because he felt a darkness around me. So anyway, to the validation and gratification. I had a friend who for years was really only my friend because our parents were friends. And so we were forced to spend a lot of time together. We went to school together, carpooled together, but we were very, very different people. I'd say we're like family in a way now, but when we were 14, she was the preppy popular type and I was a punk, quiet, angsty kid. And she was convinced my ghost stories were made up to add to my facade of being a darker punk kid. I honestly didn't talk about them much with her because she didn't believe me, but one day we were getting ready for school. It was a half day or something, so we were going into school late, so everyone in my house had left and the house was empty, aside from us. And we had no neighbors on either side or across the street, and the house was very silent. I remember very well putting on my mascara and hearing very clearly a small girl's voice come up from the hallway outside my room and say, hey. I turn to my friend and I say, whoa, did you hear that? To which she replies, shut up, Lily," with an eye roll as if she was over my lies. And then even louder from the exact same area, hey, to which I said nothing since I knew she wouldn't believe me. But to my surprise, my friend panics and says, oh my God, Lily, wait, I heard it. I heard it this time. What was that? And I said, it's Amanda. My friend looked blank eyed and scared, but our carpool arrived. So we went to school and didn't talk about it, although it was clear that she was very bothered. But the scarier part comes when we got home from school. We go upstairs, turn the corner, and boom, there is a two-foot-long, one-foot-wide puddle of blood. I stepped over it and laughed and pointed, I told you, I told you so, I told you my house is haunted. This is not the first time that blood had appeared on the floor or on the walls around my house, or like I said, at school, and she stood there and had gotten up on her tippy toes as if to lift herself off the demonic floor and said, I never wanted to have to see something like this. My mother helped clean it and told us it must have been from one of our cats. The two-foot puddle of bright red flesh blood, yet no cat is bleeding, and if they were, they'd probably be dead. Okay, I think not, Mom. And my friend is still in such denial that she will stick with whatever statement my mom says, that it must have been from one of my cats. But I know better. Anyway, I don't have any more time on my break from work, or I would give more details on my hauntings of the haunted home in historic Montgomery, Alabama. By the way, my name is pronounced Lily. That's just how she ends it. Okay. This is so curious because the drops of blood, number one, that's just messed up. And I can't even begin to give any bit of explanation as to what they could possibly be or mean. 
she was talking about the drops of blood appearing around her desk and wherever she was. Drops of blood, not a puddle, a pooling of this blood. Right. Well, there's some experiences where it's puddles. And then at school, in situations, it's like drops, which almost makes me feel like something's hovering above her with a bloody nose. (sighs) Oh, God. Oh, God. What does it want? I don't know. Do you think, this is going to sound so messed up, but do you think that maybe the little girl, Amanda, that she, something awful happened to her and that's why she passed away? And maybe she can't always make her presence seen, but she essentially carries, she's always kind of like living out her injury. Okay. I like that version only because then that's like a cute, like Amanda's just going to school with Lily because she wants to like go to school and be a normal kid. Yeah. But the darker version is it's something dark. Right. Hovering over her and like latching onto her. And it's not just a pool of blood or drops of blood that are only visible to Lily. Her mom's seeing the blood. Her friends are seeing the blood. Her teacher's her teacher is worried about her, wants to pray over her. I'd be yeah. so curious, too, if you took the composition of that liquid and had it analyzed, what it would Ooh. show. Little scientist, Corinne. I know. Just call me a forensic psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love, I totally get where Lily's coming from with the validation that she got by proving to her friend that her stories weren't made up. Like, you can't ignore the whispers and the blood, you know? Yeah. It's like, you called me a liar, but I'm not. Exactly. I know. And then her her friend got what she not she didn't deserve to be scarred right. like this, but whatever was in the house was not holding back just because there was a guest. Right. Well, and it was clear that she based on the statement that Lily said she her friend said of like I saw something I never wanted to have experienced. Right. Like, it's clear that she probably believed Lily, but she was just too scared to admit it. Like, exactly. she'd rather say no. Like, a lot of people would rather say, yeah. no, it's not real, than admit to it. And then when they experience it, it's like, I didn't want to know. I know. I know. I, I'm curious as to how the cats behaved in that home. Yeah. If there were any particular spots, any corners, any rooms that they were really skittish in. Probably her room. Lily's room in the office. Yeah, you're right. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. What do you have next? Okay. This is from Victoria. It is called Mermaid Past Life. <gasps> yes. I'm so stoked on this one. We needed something like this. <laughs> Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. My name is Victoria and I'm from the San Francisco East Bay. I found your podcast a couple months ago and I've been listening to it religiously since then trying to catch up. I'm currently on episode 50 covering alien abductions. Corinne began to mention how when under past life hypnosis therapy, some people recalled past lives that were not lived on earth. I had always wanted to email you girls, but once I heard this, something told me I had to pause the episode, hop on my laptop real quick, and tell you the story. I automatically thought about a dear friend of mine who was a mother figure to me. Her name was Carol, and since I was a teenager, I would visit her literally every day and just talk about life. I am now 24 years old, and unfortunately, Carol passed away this summer. Carol also happened to be a psychic. I never visited her because of that and never asked her anything unless she brought it up. I really just genuinely enjoyed her company. Also, every now and then, she would randomly tell me things about life, and it scared the shit out of me because I knew no matter how crazy it sounded, it would become reality. Carol lived a very interesting life, and she had loads of stories. One day, she was venting to me about her brother. She hadn't seen him in years and always wondered where he was and how he was doing. 
Carol never knew why he had distanced himself and chose to cut her out of his life. She began to tell me about a dream that she had with him. This dream was actually a memory of a past life of theirs. In every life that she remembered, they were always brother and sister. But in this particular life, they were mermaids and they were living underwater. I didn't say it out loud, but I automatically thought, I fucking knew it. They're real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Carol also mentioned that two other past lives were lived in what she thought to be London and that it was always dark and gloomy. So I'm thinking probably around the 1700s. I'm not too sure. And another life was lived during the period of the Wild West. I completely believed in reincarnation and her recalling these past lives to me just made me believe in it even more. Carol was super into learning about space and other planets. And now I understood why. Maybe this mermaid life was lived on a different planet. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting to think about. I wish I could have found your podcast sooner so I could binge it with Carol. I know she would have loved it as much as I do, and every time I listen, I think of her. See you on the other side, Victoria. Wow, Carol sounds like such a special person. I know, and so sensitive and so in tune with diving deeper on the the past lives lived on her soul. And I'm curious what she'll come back as in her next life. I know. How cool, she was a mermaid. There's a planet out there. Where mermaids live. I mean, I still believe they live on our planet, but that's the first time I ever thought of them as aliens. And yeah. I'm kind of on board and it makes sense. What if mermaids were aliens that came and visited Earth? You know how when you watch ancient aliens and all of those shows, they depict all of this artwork and, and cave art and whatnot that shows some sort of flying saucer or extraterrestrial activity on Earth. And so everyone's like, aliens have been visiting us for years. What if mermaids came? I am so on board with this. I think this is a very real possibility. Do you think that they would have to wear the same helmets that Patrick and SpongeBob wear when they go into Sandy's house to keep themselves I bet you that's where the SpongeBob creators came up with it because they have been given the information Uh, yeah no way was that an original idea entirely (laughs) gifted to them from the mermaid extraterrestrials that visit our planet often Mm -hmm. that's how life works that's how our lives work this is the world you can live in whatever world you choose to create for yourself and in our present life mermaids are real yeah they are so we're fair i believe in mermaids Sabrina, if you ever get a neck tattoo, can it please say, I believe in mermaids? I already have a neck tattoo. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's hidden. I was thinking like on the front or like a Post Malone oh, always front. tired. You want me to get a front tattoo? Corinne, I'm sorry to tell you I'm never going to get a front tattoo. Just like a little choker. And then when you look real close, it's actually a tattoo and it's writing and it says, I believe in mermaids. Okay. Well, maybe there's a tasteful way to do that. And I'm not going to do it, but I'm open to looking at other people doing it. Okay. I have... A story, this is from Liv, and it's called A Happy Mother's Day for My Supernatural Mom. Hi, lovely ladies. I've got a couple of different stories for you today, and in honor of Mother's Day being right around the corner or right behind the corner, I thought I would share a few from my mom. For a little backstory, my mother and I have always been what you would call sensitive to the other side and have both found ourselves experiencing some very strange things. When I was growing up, My mother was an antique dealer and for work would find things to bring home and list online for auctions. This could be anything from an old vase or an old couch. And when I mean old, I mean really freaking old. My mother has purchased and sold things from the Civil War, the American Revolution, and many other different time periods. So cool. 
Now, some people say that spirits can attach themselves to things that were owned by them when they were living. And I think that is 100% true. Growing up, I was surrounded by things that were older than most people still alive on this planet. So I can certainly believe these kinds of items having the ability to expose you to things that go bump in the night. I would hear doors open and close on their own, footsteps walking up and down the hallway outside my door when I was the only one home, and I was even pulled out of bed once while I was sleeping. But those are stories for another time. So for now, I'll tell you about my mom's experiences. The first one is about my mom's experience with aliens. The year was 1973, and my mom was still in high school at the time. Her boyfriend had just come back from vacationing in California, so they had decided to get together and go for a drive. After driving for a bit and catching up, they settled on finding a remote place to park their car and get busy, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Eventually, they fell asleep for a while, and all of a sudden, they wake up to their car being violently shook back and forth. My mom's boyfriend owned a big van, and this thing was rocking so hard that it was balancing on two wheels at a time. My mom explained that it felt as if something was jumping up and down on the roof over and over again. My mom was obviously frightened and her boyfriend was too. So he decided to climb up to the front seat and start slamming down on the horn, which was the wrong idea. The car continued to shake and not knowing what to do, my mom's boyfriend climbed back into the back seat to comfort her who was crying at this point, obviously scared shitless. Then there was a bright light and my mom said it was as if someone turned on the sun and the van's window curtains couldn't block it out. The craziest part is, This was all my mom and her boyfriend could remember because two hours later, they woke up for a second time. Only this time, everything was quiet, the van was not shaking anymore, and they both remembered everything that had just taken place, except they don't remember falling asleep for two hours. They were abducted. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Although I have many more stories I could tell, this last one is about when my mom was living in Arizona with my dad when he was training for the Air Force. My mom and dad had just moved to what is now a closed base out there with my older brother, and they were settling in. My dad wasn't around the house a lot of the time because of his training, so my mom and brother were at home by themselves most nights. One night, my mom had put my brother down in his crib and went to go take a shower. Before she got in, she took off her pearl wedding earrings that she wore every single day and put them on the corner of the sink. After she was done showering, she got out and went to put them back in her ears, but they were gone. My mom panicked, looking everywhere she could think, but she came up with nothing. She even called a plumber to come and check the pipes. Maybe they had fallen into the sink, but there was nothing there. And the plumber said that if they had fallen down into the piping, then they must have been washed away. My mom was so devastated that she lost her wedding earrings, but eventually moved on and put the thought in the back of her mind. Then one day, months later, my mom put my brother in his crib and got in to take a shower. When she finished, she got out and there were her earrings sitting right on the bathroom corner where she had left them months before. Thank you so much for reading my email. I hope it wasn't too long. I stumbled upon your podcast a year ago and have loved everything you guys have put out. I love to listen to your podcast while I cook and the listener stories are always my favorite. I hope you guys are staying happy and healthy. Live. Oh my gosh. The uh, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just start backwards and then move. Start at the end and then move backwards. Perfect. The missing wedding earrings just gave me so much... Not like deja vu. I don't I don't really know the right words to use here, but my family experiences that all the time. Not years that pass between finding an object and misplacing it, but we'll put something down and then it sometimes it's hours, sometimes it's a couple days, and you'll go back to that same spot that you already checked 
so many times and it is just so blatantly and obviously there. Oh my gosh. That's so weird. It happens all the time. Like to the point where sometimes we don't even look that hard for things anymore. And we're just like, give it a few hours and check where you thought you left it. It'll be there. That's wild. I, part of me wonders if it's like, it slips into like a different time almost. And then like, yeah, catches up. I don't know. That's weird. But when I was reading this the first time, I was like nervous that the earrings were going to wind up in the crib. When her mom was putting her brother down, she was going to find the earrings like in the crib, which would have been like equally as creepy because it's like, did something put them in there? It's a choking hazard. And that's so dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Good thing that didn't happen. I, I'm curious, though. Maybe there was an old motherly spirit that was like, don't leave your valuables unattended. <laughs> Teaching her a lesson. As if she needs any more lessons. The poor woman was abducted. Leave her alone. <laughs> Maybe it was the aliens. <laughs> They're like, hmm, this seems to be a prized possession. Let's study it. <laughs> what is it made of? Why does she love it so much? Ugh, what happened in those two hours? I know. Oh, God. I just want to know. I will say, I feel like if I'm ever abducted, I do want to experience it with someone else. So like having been there in the car with her boyfriend, both experiencing the car shaking like that. And then to wake up two hours later and be like, wait, what just happened? We both remember the car shaking. We both remember that really bright light. Oh my God. And Ooh. we both fell asleep. Just got what? full chills thinking about it. Because if you did, if you experienced that by yourself, I feel like you'd feel very isolated. No one would understand it. Yeah. Do you think if you experienced it, would you look for markings on your body, like any indication that there was any sort of prodding or experiments yes. or insertion of, I don't know, tracking devices in your shoulder? Like a little neck tattoo choker that says, I believe in mermaids. <laughs> there it goes. Sabrina was abducted by the alien mermaids again. <laughs> they came with an agenda this time. <laughs> Mark everyone with, I believe in mermaid tattoos. Oh, gosh. As soon as I start talking about aliens or thinking about aliens, it both is equal parts exciting and then the most terrifying thing in the world. Because to me, aliens don't even seem paranormal. It doesn't seem like a supernatural thing that it's like. It, it's out of this world. Right. It is out <laughs> of this world. But, you know, I, I just feel like with ghosts and stuff, there are so many people that are like, is it? Is it not? You know, there's so much back yeah. and forth and it's just been a part of life to understand that there are people that don't believe it, mm -hmm. even though we very much do and are certain that it's real. But for aliens, it just seems so much closer to home because it's not like a ghost or the wisp of a figure rushing by. It's something coming and stealing you and wiping your memory and has intelligence and technology so beyond. It's fucking terrifying. You're getting very worked up by it, and I love it. We haven't talked about aliens in so long, and I'm thrilled. I feel like Jack and the Beanstalk, and I'm crawling up, and all these giants are just destroying me. Whereas I feel like my purpose has returned <laughs> and to be abducted by aliens. There you go. Who needs a job when you can just hold up a sign to the sky every night? Take me. I'm going to start an Instagram account where it's like man with a sign, but it's like girl who wants to be abducted. <laughs> girl with an abduction obsession. <laughs> One day, Sabrina, it'll happen for you. I just know it. But like, like maybe we, maybe we don't say that. I don't know. Yeah. Do we want it to? Do we not want it to? If I can remember it, but maybe I don't want to remember it. See, oh God, I have so much indecision. I know. Okay. What do you have? Okay. This one. 
This one I actually read to my mom earlier today because it it got me. This is from Kashina and it's titled Haunted House, The Spirits That Saved Me. Hi ladies, my name is Kashina and I listened to the very first episode of your podcast a couple weeks ago. I honestly forgot to listen for a while until I got quarantined and laid off thanks to COVID-19 because California. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like how the blame is on California in the because sentence. Because California. Because yeah. California. <laughs> but I got to listening tonight while I was cleaning and decided to send you an email. Although heads up, some of what you're going to read isn't pretty in the slightest. And this is only one of my stories. I'm half Native American and my family on both sides has a lot of spirit activity, but this one is one that I can remember best and with the fondest memories. I can send you another of how awful Ouija boards are and how that nearly destroyed my life because my, quote, friends sucked. But anyway, back to the story. I lived in an adorable little harbor town in northern Michigan, Alpena. We lived in a house in the middle of the town that had an interesting layout. It was a two-story house with a basement, but the garage had its own separate level, So it technically was three and a half stories with the basement. The basement had a little corner and in it, no matter what you did, lighting a candle, shining a flashlight directly into it, etc., it stayed dark. It just eats light. We had this woman that used to walk up and down the stairs and down the hallway. She did this periodically throughout the night and had a dislike for my mom and one of my dad's half-brothers. I'll get into that in a minute, but in my parents' room, my parents had seen our neighbor's son who died in a motorcycle accident the summer before we moved in, which was the same summer my younger brother died and the reason we moved across the country to Michigan. And I had something entirely else in my closet. This thing in my closet would wait until after midnight, and I knew it was that time because my dad usually closed the door a little hard on his way out for work. It would creak open my closet door and slink across the floor. There's no other words for it because it was a horror movie movement. Then it would get to the end of my little twin-sized bed, rise up, and stand there until my mom's alarm went off at six in the morning. (gasps) Six hours. Six hours. Six, six, six. I was only four and a half, but I learned to sleep through it. And after the first few nights, I figured that it wasn't doing anything besides watching me, which was scary, but at least it was like clockwork. In the days that my dad had off, I slept through it and didn't even notice it. My mom lost herself after my brother died. A lot of people said that it was amazing that my parents stayed married as long as they did after he passed away, but it was an unspoken agreement that it was only until I was out of the house. They didn't communicate and they argued. And when my mom was angry, she took it out on me. A lot of hospital visits and police reports can attest to that. Around the time of my first hospital visit because of my mom, My dad's younger half-brother started taking a dark interest in women. I'm going to insert a trigger warning right now for sexual assault. So if you would like to fast forward, I would suggest fast forwarding probably a full minute. I was molested by him from the time that I was five until I was seven, and we packed up to move back to California. I wasn't the only one in the family either. Four of my cousins were as well, and he was charged for rape and aggravated assault at 16. But depressing part over, here's where it gets odd. The woman on the stairs began reacting to my mom. Every time it was just the two of us home alone, she would throw things at her. Break pictures, vases, anything that kept my mom up and busy and away from me. She threw an entire entryway table that was at the landing of the top of the stairs down it at my mom while she was chasing me, screaming at me. 
She threw a mason jar that shattered against the wall next to where my dad's half-brother was standing, and the glass cut his face to the point where my aunt had to drive him to get stitches. When he was staying over at the house a few times, he tried to get into my room. The thing in the closet stood in front of my door and kept it closed. Every time he stayed over, that thing came out sooner, and it stayed out until my dad or one of my uncles came home to get me from my room. It made it impossible for him to open the door no matter how many times he tried. And in the morning, he would check my door to see if there was a lock because he wasn't able to jiggle the door handle. It irritated him. And the last time he tried, the lady shoved him down the stairs while the thing kept my door closed. It raised a lot of questions for my dad. Why was he upstairs when the guest room wasn't? And he wasn't allowed back over after that. And the lady and the thing in my closet, they went back to their normal habits, except whenever they protected me from my mom. Whenever I tell other people this story, they get confused because they don't know if the thing in my closet saved me or was keeping me for itself. All I know is that I felt safest in that room because whatever was trying to harm me had to get past both the cranky old stair woman and the thing in my closet. Well, that's my origin. Stay safe during these crazy times. Wow. Kashina, I... It breaks my heart that you had to go through any of this and it's awful, just awful. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's unimaginable and it's so horrible that both she had to go through all of this along with other cousins. I mean, no one should ever go through it and it's a really difficult topic to talk about and something that you'd never wish for anyone to go through, especially children. And to have like just lost her brother and then her mom taking things out on her and then it's just terrible. But it's really amazing that whatever these entities were, were trying to protect her. Yeah. And it also made me wonder if perhaps the dark figure that came out of the closet wasn't a dark figure at all. I know that when we see dark figures and dark shadows, we oftentimes associate them and and usually associate them with darker presences because that's one of the visualizations of dark energy is a shadow on the wall. However, we have talked about cases where People who have passed over decide to cloak their identity either because the physical identity that they have in the afterlife is perhaps shocking to some, like if someone had died very violently and maybe they have a hard time showing themselves as anything other than what they looked like after their accident. Mm -hmm. Or I wonder if maybe this person cloaked themselves so that she wouldn't be as scared. Like maybe it was a relative or maybe it was just some sort of person who had previously lived in the area or in the home or something, but just knew that a shadow was perhaps less scary than a full body apparition with eyes staring directly into a child. And if it's standing there for six hours and she was saying that she slept through it. So clearly it's I mean, sure, you can sleep through scary things as well, but it feels more protective than anything. And it's curious, I wonder, maybe, Kashini, you can clarify for us if, if if you feel so inclined, but it was curious that the thing appeared every time her dad went to work. Like, it was as if now that her dad is gone and can't protect her, mm-hmm. this thing came out and was like, I have to take that place and protect her. Yeah. I know. I know. And it's interesting that you say that too, because so if the old woman is running up and down the stairs and and essentially taking on the mother, it sounds like this figure is perhaps maybe the counterpart of this old woman. Maybe it was Mm. a husband 
and right. he's taking on the the paternal side and taking on bad men who enter her life. Wow. Ugh, I love when spirits are good and help and protect. I know. This is a prime example of if you out of context, if you didn't have the rest of the story and you just heard about a dark figure slinking out of the closet each night, standing at a child's bed, staring at her until an alarm went off, her mom's alarm went off. Mm -mm. And if you heard about a female ghost running up and down the stairs, throwing objects and trying to harm people, you would immediately think this is the worst haunting that I've ever heard. This is poltergeist activity. Go get that house exercised. But this is the opposite. These ghosts were protecting this child. Okay. This is from Becca and it's called Midnight Playtime with a Ghost. Hey ladies, I just started listening to your podcast probably a month ago and only have eight episodes left until I caught up. Also, this is from 2018. So girl, I don't know where you are. <laughs> I'm not sure if the story I'm about to tell you was just a recurring dream I had when I was little or if I actually had a nightly visitor. When I was about six years old, I kept having a dream that this woman would come into my room and make me play with her. She was terrifying looking, at least to a six-year-old, and to be honest, would probably still scare me today. She had long, wild, dirty blonde hair that partially obscured her face. She wore a long, off-whitish, grayish dress that was somewhat tattered, and all her skin was also grayish in color. I think what scared me the most, however, was her eyes. They were milky white, clouded over so the pupil was not distinct, but the iris was still a piercing blue. She was very specific about what toy we were to play with. It was a wooden train set that was very basic, just wooden slabs on wheels that could hook together. Each slab had a cutout groove in the middle that a wooden animal cutout would fit into. I distinctly remember a kangaroo and a camel. I pretty much never played with this train set except for when she made me. There was nothing wrong with it, but it wasn't very exciting. And this was kept in a box that was held together with a string. The lid and base of the box each had a round button that you could wrap the string around in a figure eight pattern. In other words, it wasn't the easiest, quickest thing to open. But every morning after she would visit me, the train would be set up on the floor of my bedroom where we had played while I was quote unquote dreaming. I did sleepwalk and talk at the time, so I guess it is possible that I was doing this while sleepwalking, but the train was only ever set up in the morning after I had these specific dreams about the woman. And one day I just stopped having the dream and the toy stopped being set up. Two other things to note. When I was this age, I had to listen to music while falling asleep, so the ghost would be confused and not be able to find me in my bed. I also kept a ghost journal about all the spirits I saw, which I unfortunately destroyed when I became a sassy tween who decided younger me was dumb. Thank you for your amazing podcast, Creep It Real, Becca. Oh, I'm so bummed her ghost journal's gone. I know, but one, how cool that you actually kept a ghost journal. I wish that I had been smart enough as a young kid to do that. I know. I, I will tell you when I was 14, I started one because there was so much activity, but I only got maybe three entries in before I too suffered from the tween shame and was like, no, I can't keep evidence of this. But did you keep those three? No. Oh. It was ripped out of the journal and the journal was used for other stuff. Why didn't our younger selves set us up better for this podcast? How great would it be to have a segment where we read from our ghost journals? Oh my gosh, I know. I mean, if, and if Becca had kept hers, she, we could have read Becca's. <laughs> but okay, how frightening would that be? To know that you are, to believe that you were dreaming each night 
But then to see the toy set up, it makes me wonder if her parents ever heard her playing, thought maybe she was sleepwalking or thought that she was just entertaining herself in the middle of the night when she woke up, as sometimes children do. Well, yeah, my younger brother used to play with the ghost often or the ghost would like play with my brother's toys as a kid. But he would always say, mom, tell the little boy I don't want to play. But the fact that she was sleepwalking and talking makes me really think she was sleepwalking and talking with this woman or with other ghosts. And her dream was not just a dream. It was real. Very much so. Yes. Oh my gosh. So scary. Wait, was the, was it a woman or was it another little child? It was a woman. For some reason, I was picturing a child this entire time. She didn't specify age, but she said a woman who was very creepy looking to a child, to six-year-old her. And she had like clouded over eyes, wore a long dress. I don't know why, but it just makes it even creepier that it's a an older woman that's like, wake up and play with me. Yeah, it's so eerie. It's so, ew, I have the heebie-jeebies. Bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> Trying to get the taste of this story out of my mouth. <laughs> well, give us another story. Maybe that will help. Okay, hold on. Okay, this is from Amanda, and it is called My Spooky Bridgewater Triangle Story. Hi, ladies. My name is Amanda, and I just listened to your most recent episode about the Bridgewater Triangle. I was so excited that I listened to it twice. I already posted some of my stories in the Facebook group, so I figured I'd email you just in case you'd like to use my story in the future episode. I love, live, and breathe the Bridgewater Triangle. Part of the Hockamock Swamp extends into my backyard, so I've always been fascinated by the phenomena. I spend most of my days off from work exploring the Freetown Fall River State Forest. However, my scariest paranormal experience happened at Anawan Rock in Rehoboth, Massachusetts. A few years ago, my friends and I spent the summer exploring abandoned buildings and haunted places. We heard about the history and haunting of Anawan Rock, so we loaded up two cars with our buddies and set out to see what we could experience. We spent close to an hour sitting around in silence just observing the area. After a while of nothing happening, some of the boys that were with us started goofing around and peeing off of rocks. I was getting really frustrated because they were acting disrespectful towards the land and the native spirits. And that's when the activity finally began. It started with slow, steady drum beats off in the woods. I thought my mind was playing tricks on me before another friend mentioned that they heard it. Soon, we heard what sounded like shouting and hollering over the drums, and the noises gradually got closer to us, and we could hear movement from all directions. I was getting really emotional because I knew that the boys had upset something, so that's when I decided to leave. I went to hand my flashlight to a friend that was going to stay, and she was standing on the lower part of the rock. As she reached up to grab the flashlight, she felt something grab her around the ankle and yank her foot off of the rock. That was enough to unnerve all of us, and we ran back to our cars. The following weeks, my friend that had been grabbed at Anawan Rock started sleepwalking. She never sleepwalked before this experience, so we thought it was odd, but we brushed it off at first. One morning, however, she woke up and noticed that the back door was open and her feet had dirt all over them. That was when we realized that she started sleepwalking into the woods. We noped the fuck out of there and bought some sage. A few of us brought the sage straight to Anawan Rock and we each took a piece and walked all over the area until all the sage had been burned. After that, the sleepwalking finally stopped. I have a number of other experiences within the Bridgewater Triangle, such as seeing floating lights in the swamp at night, hearing disembodied voices, and even a ghost cat coming back for one last visit. I have a close friend who is 100% convinced that they encountered a Bigfoot in the state forest. 
And my best friend has seen several UFOs and frequently has premonitions. You have cool friends. I know. I could (laughs) ramble on about this forever, but I'll cut it off here for now. Hope you ghouls enjoyed my story. Keep up the awesome work. I recently started a job as a dog walker and your podcast keeps me entertained during the long walks and drives between clients. Keep up the awesome work, ladies, and I'd love to see a live show in Boston sometime. See you on the other side, Amanda. Wow. The sleepwalking into the woods is absolutely horrifying. There's nothing more terrifying that I could imagine than waking, like besides possibly an alien abduction, but I'm not even sure because like we were talking about the alien abductions, you're just left wondering what happened by having absolutely no evidence of what potentially could have happened. And you're still sitting in your car or standing in the middle of a field or wherever you are. But with this, her friend had all of the dirt on her shoes and God knows where she went in the woods. Can you imagine? I know that it's a a state forest, so they probably don't have, I would assume, many like game cams up or maybe they do. Maybe the park services put some up. But can you imagine having set up game cameras to just see, like, where are the mountain lions walking? Like, what are the normal paths for the deer? And then you see a girl just walk by in the middle of the night. Sleepwalking, like, barefoot because her feet were covered with dirt. It doesn't make me think she's, like, putting shoes on. It's like she's just, like, opening the door following. Oh, God, it's so creepy. It reminds me so much of Pet Cemetery. There were, like, multiple parts of the book where he... After visiting the pet cemetery for the first time, he started sleepwalking and he'd have dirt and like sticks in his bed in the morning. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This scares the crap out of me. I'm sleeping with all my lights on tonight. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think she did? Where do you think she went? I would assume she went back to the rock. Probably. And it's so sad because it's like she wasn't doing the bad stuff. Why did she get impacted like that? Although I wonder if those boys, any of those boys had anything like that happen to them. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, Bridgewater. Crazy. So crazy, but amazing. Thank you for sharing this with us, Amanda. Okay. Well, I have a story from Belle. It's called Why I Don't Sleep Alone, rated X for rendering readers too spooked to function. Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. I've been following the podcast for a while now and just wanted to let you both know that I love it. It's perfect for keeping me on my toes at work. Hearing so many stories and encounters, it has inspired me to send in my own story of something that happened in 2017. Here goes. Let me preface by saying that I do not sleep well when I sleep alone. Specifically, I cannot sleep in a room by myself. Every time that I do, I get horrible anxiety, nightmares, and worst of all, sleep paralysis. I can still vividly remember that awful feeling of being pressed down, unable to move, with my eyes focused on my doorway, and feeling as though something was just about to round the corner while my brain tried frantically to regain control of my body. It used to be a pretty annoying occurrence up until college, when I finally started having roommates and started dating. Friends would always tell me that what a struggle it was for them to get used to sharing a room or a bed with someone else, but I, on the other hand, was always grateful for another human's presence, no matter how hard it might have been to share my space. At least it meant I'd have a good night's sleep. Fast forward, I had graduated, found independence, and moved out of my parents' house, and found a place to live. Sharing an apartment with a housemate and with my long-term romantic partner as my roommate. I'd had sporadic episodes of sleep paralysis while in school on occasions when I was alone, but when my partner was present, all was peaceful. I still had nightmares occasionally, but the frequency was nothing unusual. It all seemed fine. Fast forward again to the 2017 winter holidays. My partner found some time to plan a trip down south to visit family, 
And due to my work schedule and the three cats we had adopted in our first year of cohabitating, I elected to stay in the city. It didn't hit me until later that this would be my biggest stretch of time sleeping alone in quite a while. It didn't seem like a big deal at first. At night, I would meet friends for dinner or else invite them over to my place where we would hang out. However, the time would inevitably come when they would stand up, announce that it was getting late, and leave. Not wanting to impose or be called a chicken, I would walk them to the door and say my goodnights and goodbyes. My housemate would retreat to their separate bedroom and I to mine. And to cope with being by myself in that dark and eerily quiet space, I would sleep with the light of my humidifier device on and gather up all three of my cats to comfort me. One night, I was in an uneasy state of slumber when I thought I heard the door to my room open. My eyelids felt too heavy to lift, so I tried to turn my head toward the sound. At the time, I was laying flat on my back with my toes peeking over the edge of the mattress, and I could feel as if someone had stepped in and was now approaching my bed, stopping right against the edge where my feet were. My sleepy self somehow reasoned that perhaps it was my partner returning home a few days early as a surprise, and that they were going to give me a greeting kiss to wake me up. I felt arms touching either side of my legs, as if someone were right over me and poised to get on the bed. Then the heavy weight of another body on the mattress. I remember that I drew my legs up so that my knees were raised, and I felt someone lower their body so that they were between my knees, hovering over me. Despite being drowsy, I mustered up enough energy and managed to say my partner's name. Then a realization hit me. I had spoken to my partner earlier that night, just before going to bed. In our video chat, they had been on a bus heading further south to continue visiting other relatives. They were not on their way back. They were not in my room. I forced my eyes open and immediately felt pricks of fear up and down my back. On top of me, pinning me down, was a long black shadow. Its eyes were sharp and red and flickering. As I stared on, in numb terror, it slowly continued to lower towards me. I didn't know what it was. I had never seen anything like it before, but looking at it made me feel huge waves of dread and anxiety unlike anything I had ever felt before. All I could think in that moment was that I had to move and I had to do it now. So I tried my usual sleep paralysis wake-up technique. I closed my eyes, gathered up all my energy and willpower, and thought repeatedly to myself, wake up now, wake up, wake up, wake up, and the weight was gone. I opened my eyes and sat up. My bedroom was dimly lit by the glow of my humidifier. One of my cats, who normally slept right on my face, crept out from under my bed, looked at me, and was confused by my panic. I looked around, but there was nothing in the room. I didn't go back to sleep that night. After my partner came back, I told them this story and we talked about it and I ended up dismissing it as another case of sleep paralysis. But even now when I think about it, I am unable to understand what I saw or felt. It was absolutely unlike any previous sleep paralysis episode I had had in the past. And up until this instance, I had never seen anything sinister, only felt anxiety as if something were approaching. Needless to say, I am very nervous about the next time I have to sleep alone. I'm spooked from just typing this out again. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to read this email. As I said before, I'm an avid listener and will continue to look forward to new episodes. Keep up the good work. Best, Belle. Oh gosh, that makes me nervous too because I immediately want to give her the advice of like, well, then don't be alone. But I know that that's not always an option. Yeah, that's not always easy. There have been nights where I've been spooked and I'm like, should I just go sleep at a friend's house? And literally every single friend is busy or out of town, or it's just inconvenient enough that it stops me from seeking out their help. And also what she said about how like a lot of people, it takes a while for them to like get used to someone sleeping in the same bed with them. Like it's one thing to say, Hey, I 
need some like need to come stay over because I don't want to be alone. But you're not necessarily going to be sleeping in that same bed with that person. She had a roommate. Her roommate was home in the other room. That's true. It's not like she's completely alone. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. This gives me the chills. It almost sounds like an incubus, but it does sound like she stopped it before. Because like the second she started to realize it wasn't her boyfriend, which is weird because it, it makes me think that whatever it this entity was kind of wanted her to think it was her boyfriend coming home. Like it planted that thought in her mind. Yeah. And it was interesting too, because it's not like she immediately thought it was her boyfriend either. Like I think she thought it, but was trying to convince herself that that thought was real, Mm -hmm. that that thought was the truth. But in reality, there was a part of her that was saying to herself, yeah, this is what it is. This is the only thing that it could be. Before you open your eyes, before you fight, convince yourself that it's just this easy explanation that is not such a fear-inducing, sleep-depriving, scary encounter. Yeah. I really hope it has not happened to you again, but please keep us updated. It's been three years, so we're. I'm really hoping all things are good. Okay. This is from Teddy. Hi, guys. I'm Theodora Teddy. And first off, I want to thank you for keeping me sane. I'm a healthcare worker, so I haven't been able to quarantine myself throughout all of this, but listening to your podcast whenever I'm home has really kept me from stressing too much. It occurred to me lately that I really ought to sit down and write out a story of my brother Evan's history of sleepwalking, especially considering what's been happening recently. We kind of have a theme of sleepwalking in this. I hope that doesn't mean that we're going to sleepwalk tonight. I really don't want to. No. Evan has always been a chronic sleepwalker ever since we were kids. The neurologist we took him to as a child said that it was likely stress-related and prescribed a mild sleep aid and to visit with a counselor, though even he admitted that medically we know very little about sleepwalking or what causes it. Evan would only take the pills when he was having an especially bad night because he said that they made him feel groggy and weird in the morning and he didn't like it. His sleepwalking persisted through his childhood, once or twice a week, and into adolescence. It was a little weird to sometimes be going to the bathroom and to see him silently wandering around the house with his eyelids at half-mast. But I knew it wasn't his fault, and we all got used to it. Scary. So scary, Jesus. I had to attach a bell to him so I would know where (laughs) he's going. Our parents figured out to put a baby gate in front of the stairs so that he couldn't fall down them while sleepwalking, and even had locks on all of our cutlery drawers downstairs so that he couldn't get into anything sharp and accidentally hurt himself if he did somehow get down there at night. We didn't like the idea of locking him in his bedroom, and it kind of freaked him out too, so we tried to avoid it. Usually when he sleepwalked, he'd go around the corner of his bedroom or into the hallway, and he had a habit of going down into my room sometimes. This was both unnerving and sweet because his neurologist told me that that was him unconsciously seeking out a, quote, safe place in his sleepwalking state, and even to his subconscious mind, that was wherever I was. We've always been really close. That's very sweet. So sweet. So one night around mid-September of 2000, I was 13, and he would have been about 16. I woke up in the middle of the night, and he was just standing over my bed eyes half open, swaying back and forth very slightly the way he did whenever he was sleepwalking. I woke up feeling his presence and got out of bed to reach for his arm the way that I knew how to do by now to gently guide him back to bed. Wait, Corinne. What? Scared. I'm scared. 
Oh, God. You scare me You're, even more. Uh, I was like, you, what did you see in my video as I've been talking? Oh, I didn't see anything, but you just started as you were reading and I could see your lips moving. But the words I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew were repeating over and over in my headphones. Ew. Ew. Okay. Ooh. Well, this isn't a good time to tell you that this is a story about repetition. No, 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 no. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I don't like this one bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think I've been this scared recording in a really long time. Me Maybe too. even years. I don't even know. Tonight is oh, off. I'm sweating. Oh, gosh. I'm not okay. All right. Just try to melt into your couch and I'll, I'll keep telling you. It must go on. The show must go on. <laughs> so I reached for his arm the way that I knew how to do by now to gently guide him back to bed. Evan, it's me. You're sleepwalking. I remember whispering to him, let's get back into bed. Normally, he'd just go wherever you guided him, and once he was close enough to his own bed, he'd just go back in. But not that night. That night, he refused to budge, and when I turned to look back at him, he was staring at me with his eyes wide open. There's something in here, he said to me. Him talking in his sleep or during sleepwalking was much more rare, but it did happen occasionally. He once told our father to fuck off while he was trying to stare him back to bed, and it was hilarious. This was less so. And I said to him, what? There's nothing in here. You're asleep. Come on. There's something in here, he repeated. But eventually he let me tug him back to his bedroom, and he got back into bed. Life went on, and he came out at 18 and started dating a man that he would eventually marry, a lawyer named Danny. Things were good, but even Danny reported that his sleepwalking never really stopped, even though Evan had a job he loved and he was seemingly happy and satisfied with his life, but he'd still sleepwalk at least a couple times a week. Danny got used to it and learned to handle it the same way that we had, but one day he texted me about a strange incident that happened in the middle of the night before, around one in the morning, according to him. He'd woken up to a rustling sound in their bedroom only to find Evan walking in a slow, deliberate circle in exactly one part of the room right in front of their window, just around and around. And he said, babe, you're sleepwalking. Come on back to bed, in hopes that his familiar voice would be enough to coax Evan back into bed. But Evan turned to him and said verbatim, there's something in here. The thing is, I'd never shared that specific story with Danny. Like me, he said, huh? There's no one in here but us, honey. Come on now. But he told me that Evan looked so distressed, like he was about to cry. And he said, it's in here. It's in here. Several times before Danny got him back into bed. It's entirely possible that this is some weird reoccurring dream that Evan has been having, but it was really creepy. And the worst part is Evan never remembers his sleepwalking episodes. And by morning, he couldn't even explain what it was. But things didn't stop there. Danny and Evan got married two years ago, and things were largely uneventful for a while until last week when Danny texted me. Evan stopped eating regularly, and he seemed very reluctant to go to bed at night. He was sort of snappish and irritable with everybody around him. The last week, Danny woke up in the middle of the night again to see Evan standing in a shadowy corner of the bedroom. He whispered, come on, baby, come back to bed because this was usually all it took to get Evan to come back to him, and it seemed to work this time because Evan turned to walk back to bed. In that moment, though, Danny swears that the shadows from the corner of the bedroom rose up and wrapped around Evan like tentacles and physically pulled my brother backward. 
he even stumbled a little bit back into the shadows and sort of thudded back first into the wall. This was enough to wake him up, and it's true that it was dark in the room and Danny was half asleep, but he swore up and down to me that he saw what he says he saw. Danny turned on the lights and went to help him, but they were both disoriented, and in the morning, Evan didn't remember a thing. I run a chess club at my local library, and we have a member there who's a professional hypnotist, and he was very interested in Evan's story. He offered a free hypnotism session to Evan if we allowed him to document everything for his research, and we accepted. Evan was under for about 20 minutes, and he sent us a copy of the video. Most of it is mundane and boring, Evan mumbling nonsense, honestly, but then John, the hypnotist, started asking him about it, the it he only sees when he's sleepwalking. What is it? John asked. Something is in here, Evan said, and well, that bugged me up. Okay, what is it? Why is it in here? John asked him. It's old, Evan said. What does it want? John asked, and Evan didn't answer. He said, it's old, it's old, it's old, several more times though. Can you only see it when you're asleep? John asked. I can only see it because I'm asleep, Evan said with startling clarity. So it preys on you because you're a sleepwalker? John asked. Something is in here, Evan says a few more times, and then nothing else. Danny asked me if he and Evan could spend the weekend at my apartment to see if he experiences the same thing at my place. And as I write this, it is April 16th, 2020, and they'll be coming over on Friday. I'll keep you updated. Thanks for everything, guys. <gasps> From Teddy. You're just gonna leave me like that? <laughs> I know we need to email back and be like, what happened? Okay, we need to see if Teddy did Teddy email since then. Gosh, you can't leave us hanging like this. I know. I have full body chills from the story. I read it earlier and I couldn't even like fully read every single sentence and word in it because I was like, this is too scary. I'll just read it. I'll just read it in its entirety for the first time on the podcast. I'm like, not well. No, it's messed up. The repetition, it's in here. It is old. I mean, by far the most terrifying thing in the world is the fact that his husband was trying to get him to get back to bed and saw this like creepy shadowy tentacle thing grab him back into the darkness. Yes. So whatever it is can be seen. And Danny saw it grab Evan. (laughs) I can't. I know. And it makes me wonder what was happening. Like, what is Evan's awareness of it? I know that he said before that he had no recollection of it. But the fact that Danny was saying that Evan wasn't eating as much and was really irritable and all of these things, it makes me wonder, was Evan becoming aware of what was happening and was just really stressed out and feeling silenced? Or was this thing, this it, gaining power and manipulating Evan and draining him of energy and was starting essentially a possession? After years and years of scratching at him, making him sleepwalk every single week. Yeah, I don't know. Because like even the hypnotist session that he went to, they, John was saying, I can only see it because I'm sleeping. So it targets him when he's sleepwalking because he's a sleepwalker. Is there something that targets sleepwalkers? And is there like a plane that you're accessing similar to astral projection when you're sleepwalking? It's interesting though that Danny did get a glimpse of it, that he could see it. Uh. 
I have chills. <laughs> Me too. And I'm, I don't really have like a heartwarming one to end us on. I know. Also, Teddy, thank you for all of the work that you're doing in the, in the healthcare profession. Yes. All right. Last one. This is from Nikki. It's called Triple Homicide Family Tragedy. Hi, I have been pretty active on your timeline and such as the paranormal and all things creepy are my go-to entertainment, but something more serious happened yesterday that I think you should know. Normally, coincidences and stories of haunted houses are exciting and thrilling, but this one hits close to home, mainly because our family's tragedy has just resurfaced in an unusual way. If this story reaches you, I ask that you provide your thoughts on what we should do to prepare ourselves for the possible reunion of the deceased. Oh my gosh. For the family's anonymity, names in this story will be changed. My cousin, second cousin to be specific, Raina and I have always had a unique connection. Although we are about seven years apart in age, we are very similar as far as personality and interests, the way we think, our fears, the unexplained experiences we've had. In a way, we are close, spiritually rather than physically. We don't see each other often and seldom talk on the phone or text. But recently, Raina and I have come across a strange feeling at around the same time and experienced a coincidence too aligned to say it was just that. To help you understand, I will start from the beginning. My mom gave birth to me when she was a teenager. She was still going to school and would drop me off at her aunt's house. We'll call my aunt Amy. My aunt Amy would make me soup and tamales and I'd sit on her bedroom floor watching Tales from the Crypt and sipping a juice box. Her house always smelled of Mexican spices and corn tortillas. It was a cozy smell, and for much of my childhood, I'd watch her cooking something with a hand towel over her shoulder in her favorite attire, blue jean shorts, a striped polo t-shirt, and high socks with tennis shoes. She had thick, black, curly hair, a characteristic I am proud to have inherited from her. I don't remember the details of her face very much anymore, but her contagious laugh is still very loud and clear. The fondest memory I have of my Auntie Amy was sitting on the tailgate of her truck bed with her, listening to her tell scary stories and funny jokes while I swung my feet over the edge. I had looked up at the sky in this memory and watched as crows took flight off the telephone pole wires under a bright blue sky. It was peaceful and quiet. I was happy. Auntie Amy had a daughter, Lisa, and Lisa had two children, Raina and Joey. Lisa, Raina, and Joey had come to live with Auntie Amy. Lisa had a dangerous boyfriend and decided to leave him. Auntie Amy did not care at all for this guy and would turn him away from the house many, many times. I remember Lisa's room. She was obsessed with unicorns. Baby Joey and Raina would jam their favorite song all the time, Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. I remember Raina and Joey sitting in the backseat of Lisa's car, pumping their fists in the air while singing in the chorus. Joey is mostly laughing at Raina. She was five at the time. One day, I was pulled from my sixth grade class. My Aunt Selena came to pick me up and she looked very worried. She said my auntie Amy had been in an accident. I asked if she was okay and my aunt nodded, but tears were streaming down her face. When I arrived home, my tío, auntie Amy's husband, was sitting in the dining room staring at the table, almost lifeless. The house felt full of sorrow and I was beginning to think the worst. My mom was bathing my baby sister, who was about five at the time, and I went over to sit next to tío and just studied his face. Finally, he spoke without turning to me. He said, I found them. I found them like that. Shivers crept up my spine and my aunt Selena called for me to come into my mom's room. My baby sister was put to bed, so that left me and my other younger sister, Raquel, in the room with my parents. My mom's face was unrecognizable. She looked like she had been crying for weeks. Finally, she knelt down to our height and simply said, Auntie Amy, Lisa, and Joey are dead. Lisa's boyfriend killed them all. 
Raquel immediately began screaming and crying, and I went into a panic. Call them. They're still there. I know it. I kept screaming. My eyes were wide as I tried to reach for the phone, but my mom grabbed me and held me tight, holding me close. My heart felt like it was going to stop. All I kept thinking was about the weekend before this, when I had told my mom I didn't feel like visiting Auntie Amy that day, and so she went without me, and then now she was gone. The funeral service was massive. People who I knew, people who I didn't, people who heard the story from the news, people who were old friends, people of all ages. The image of the three caskets at the head of the church was overwhelming. Joey's tiny casket was in between his mom's and grandma's. I'd never seen a casket that small before. Tio was sitting in the front pew, and I began to grow anxious as screams and wails of anger from the older ladies filled the church. My grandma was a mess. Her sister, niece, and a three-year-old child were murdered in their own home. And Raina was nowhere to be seen. She survived because my Aunt Amy walked her to school, and when she returned from the walk, Lisa and Joey were already dead. My Tito found them like that when he had come home from work. Raina came to live with us for a few years while her grandpa gathered himself. She was like another baby sister to me, and over the years, we had remained close. But once we got older and started to live our own lives, we grew apart. Every once in a while, we'd say hi or share a memory we remembered about old times, but we seldom spoke of life before the tragedy. That is, until just yesterday. When I was in college, I had driven past the old house to make sure it was being taken care of. The yard was well kept. The house had been repainted. It looked lovely. I remembered how to get there because even though I wasn't tall enough to remember the path, I remember turning left when you got to a triangle house with three tall cone-shaped trees in front. Never in my life had I even thought of entering the home or even asking. I just let it be. But this past weekend, I was talking to a coworker about tragedies and scary stories, murders and such, probably because Halloween is near. I mentioned to him that we had a horrible tragedy in our family, and I showed him the house on Google. He asked if I'd ever gone back inside, which, why would anyone ask that? But I dropped my finger from the screen and replied, no, but I have thought about it. But I could never do it to my family. Open old wounds. Plus, I'd have to get the blessing from my cousin, and it's just not possible. I wouldn't even know how to ask her. Jump to last night, I get a text from Raina. The conversation continues during a following phone call. She had told me that she recently became somewhat obsessed with wanting to go inside. Like there was a pull she was experiencing that she had never felt before. She said she had driven by the house a few times over the years, but never had the feeling to go in. We continued to talk about our shared experiences with the dreams and the supernatural, and we even finished each other's sentences when describing the old house inch for inch. It blew my mind how much detail she remembered about the house given how young she was at the time. So she decided to write a letter to the owner, who was a 60-something-year-old man, saying that she used to live there and would like to revisit childhood memories, as it had been 18 years since we'd stepped foot in it. After the phone call, I was visibly shaking. The temperature felt like it had dropped 20 degrees, and my teeth were chattering. My nerves were being trampled on. My husband and Raina's husband feel this would be good closure if the man lets us visit. They would drive us there and offer emotional support. But what I keep fighting with is residual energy, the possibility of the evil still residing there. I did not mention this to my cousin as she's a firm believer in all things paranormal, but I struggle with the possibility nonetheless. We've gotten mixed messages from close friends. We haven't included our family as it may be strongly advised to not do this as well as rejected. Some friends have been supportive. Others have said it was not a good idea. And some say it would be good to get closure, and others say we could attract a demonic presence. Needless to say, the coincidence here of us both having the pull to visit this house at the same time did not seem like a coincidence to either of us. We pray that our feeling is correct when we say that it is a positive spirit or entity calling us to it. We will only get this one chance, if granted, to properly say our goodbyes. I will keep you posted if you 
like once we receive a response from the owner. Wishing you well, Nikki. Oh, boy. Wow, Nikki. I'm so sorry that your family had to go through that. It's so sad. It's an awful, awful tragedy. It's awful to lose any family member, but to lose three people that you love in the same tragic, tragic, unexpected way is awful. As far as the pull to the house goes, I wonder, I wouldn't, I'm not thinking necessarily that it's anything demonic. And I also don't think necessarily that the spirits of her relatives are stuck there. I'm thinking maybe that there is some sort of, maybe her family members know that they need closure. And so I wonder if that, because they had lived in that house and because that house was where they transitioned over to spirit form, I wonder if it's easiest to manifest there and to use the most amount of energy there. And so I wonder if they're just trying to give a message of like, all right, let's move on. Let's let's be okay with what happened. And here's your your message to continue and, and live your life. And so they're trying to call them back because they know that they have the most ability to accurately give that message if it's done in or around the house. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I agree with you. I don't I don't get a negative feeling about it. It does seem like maybe and granted I'm not a therapist or professional in any in any way, but the idea of seeing it going there for closure seems like it might be helpful. Right. I think you just have to do so much mental prep as well because it's hard to anticipate what you'll feel or what images might flash into your mind when you're in a space that something like this happened in. She wrote in the beginning if we had any recommendations or anything that we can help input wise with. And I I think what you just said is kind of a very smart, is very smart. Just if you do have therapists or someone who is there for you mentally, who can be there and help you talk through it if you need help. Yeah. Because it is going to be, it will be so emotional. I know that she's driven by to just check on on how the house is doing. But I wonder what would happen if she just walked by and maybe put her hand up on the fence if there's a fence or put her hand just on the grass for a moment in the front yard if there's grass in the front yard just to see if that extra step, that closer proximity might help prepare her for possibly entering the home if the current homeowner permits it. Yeah. Nikki, please keep us updated if you want to. We are sending you and your cousin, Reina, so many good wishes and positive energy. All the good vibes to everybody out there. If you all have ghost stories, encounters, alien abductions, interesting interactions with spirits, sleepwalking, anything, please send us your stories. Our email is twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. And you should rate and review us on iTunes because it means so much and goes a very long way in this time of needing something to do. I will willingly read reviews on iTunes. So please do them. <laughs> but be nice. Thank you. Keep Sabrina in mind when you when you write all your compliments. Sabrina is so wonderful. Uh, real quick, want to say thank you to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital and your whole team for editing our episodes. We truly, truly do appreciate you making us sound high quality professional. And and we will see you on the other side.